Glad we're here. Turn again one more time to the Lord. Jesus, thank you for bringing us to your house. Bless us with your word and open our ears and minds for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Tomorrow, we will commemorate January 22nd, 1973, when the Supreme Court of the United States passed, uh, made it legal to have abortion on demand in the case of Roe v. Wade. And as Pastor Benji has been reminding us over the last six years, sanctity of human life, while about the unborn and the justice we must fight for them, is also about our need to be seeking justice and working for justice for those who are in the human trafficking, for those who are oppressed by racism, even fighting against the policies that made the water crisis in Flint, Michigan possible. There are a whole host of reasons, there are a whole host of injustices that Christians must stand against and pray against and work against in this nation, including that of the tragedy of abortion. And I want to say one thing before we get started. I know and have spoken with some of you, and some of you have the pain of abortion in your past. There is no shame. For those who have trusted the promises of God for them in Christ, there is no guilt anymore either. I'm sure there are some in this room that I don't know who have experienced that. And there may be, I know there have been in this room, those who have committed the abortion. And I want to pray for you as well. And I don't want you to walk out of here feeling shamed even if there is a level of guilt. Because if there is, it's easy to solve. Put it at the feet of the cross. And the Savior of the world can forgive that sin as well. Today, I want to address from God's Word a very basic concept that answers one of the underlying beliefs that in our culture today goes unchallenged. This morning, we are going to look at an explanation as to what the Bible teaches when it says we are created in the image of God. But to get there, we need to ask and answer a very important question. Why is it that abortion is so commonly portrayed as a women's rights issue as opposed to a human rights issue. I, I don't understand it because women can do exactly one thing that men cannot. And protecting that woman's right to be a woman ought to be the second most important consideration here. The first most important consideration obviously needs to be the life of the innocent human person developing in her womb. So why is it that except in the case where a mother's life is endangered, 
that we are not most concerned about taking a human, an innocent human person's life rather than harming the career aspirations of a woman. Now, I put that very bluntly. And I want to say there are legitimate concerns for women's rights issues. And hopefully I will be able to at least begin a, a, an option or an application of how the church can alleviate some of those justice issues as well. I promise I will come to the point where grace, unmerited favor, the power to accomplish kingdom purposes enables the church to spread abundant life to everyone. And furthermore, I know that there are those of genuine belief on both sides of this question. There are some who claim the name of Christ who support abortion, at least in theory, because they believe it to be a question of women's rights primarily. I hope to convince you otherwise today. But we'll start this process by addressing the two most commonly given arguments for abortion in the culture today. At least in the past, it has been common for the argument to be presented that the fetus is just a a clump of cells and is not clearly human. Ernest Haeckel's fraudulent embryonic graph, his drawings, assisted in this long since proven to be absolutely fraudulent. These are still found in abortion textbooks and are key in helping people to believe that it's just a clump of cells and is probably not human, at least not yet. But we trust science and not scientism. And we have known for at least a generation or two that the clump of cells in a woman's uterus is in fact human. Ultrasound machines have improved by leaps and bounds just in the years since my boys have been born. But let's be adults here. We don't need ultrasound machines to tell us that our embryos are, in fact, human. Dogs have dogs. Cats have cats. Humans have humans. Ask any mother. In my reading this week, I found an abortionist who related that she performed an abortion on an 18-week fetus. And she happened at that moment to be 18 weeks pregnant herself. Still an abortionist, she wrote an article describing the strategies one might use to suppress the feelings that many feel when they come to terms with what they are doing. I both cried and felt nauseated several times this week as I was preparing this. And while it is true that your conscience is not a perfect guide to what is right and wrong, Jesus' words still ring true 2,000 years later. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. But of course, the, the absolute simple question is, where would you be right now if your mother had obtained an abortion when she was pregnant with you? 
Now, so successful have these, this line of reasoning been for pro-lifers in the last 45 years that pro-abortionists have, for the most part, acquiesced in their public debating. Maybe not so in the clinic, I, I don't know. But a more common argument proffered today is that the fetus is, in fact, human, but is not a person. This is what you will most commonly get when you're arguing about this. But there is a significant problem with this argument. There is no quality, there is no characteristic, there is no capacity that you can use to discriminate between two humans to say that one is a person and one is not. You can't do it without tipping your Nazi card. And quite literally, in this case. Is it the size of the fetus that determines whether it is a person or not? Are you saying that my little girl is less human than my Hagrid-sized boys? I love you guys. Is it the development, the level of development of the fetus that determines whether he or she is a person or not? Okay, just give it to some time and see what happens. Is it the location? Are you seriously going to say, listen, are you seriously going to say that a 37-week fetus is murderable when a three-week premature baby sitting on her mama's lap is not? When just moments before, she was just inches away. Interestingly, pro-abortionists are now making exactly that argument and they're pushing for legal infanticide because they reason abortion is legal why can't we legalize infanticide if you don't believe me google it but have a trash can nearby you'll need it maybe it's the fact that the fetus is still dependent upon the mama that makes her less a person hear what that argument is saying it would be better for the developmentally or physically disabled, the aged or the infirm, just to die and decrease the surplus population. Are you a Scrooge or are you a Hitler to say that? Amy Hall made this point. She said, the four differences between the unborn and born human, size, level of development, location, and degree of dependency, are irrelevant characteristics when determining the rights of human beings. Therefore, the life of the unborn, innocent human beings, I would say innocent human persons, cannot be taken without adequate justification. In other words, for any reason other than to save the life of the mother. Okay, so, so far, this is what we have. Murder of innocent human persons is wrong. Fetuses are innocent human persons. Abortion is the murder of a fetus. Therefore, abortion is wrong. Now, if you go by the rules of logic... This is both valid and sound. Therefore, it ought to be cogent. Therefore, this argument should be persuasive to all reasonable people. Unfortunately, as we know, it is not. And pro-abortionists know this, and that is why their arguments are almost always only based on individual stories of hardship that are indeed painful. 
Which is exactly why the church must rise up and address those needs. The church must rise to the occasion. And praise Jesus, we are. Though more is needed. So let's address the elephant in the room. What about the problem of inequality? What about the fact that women, in fact, lose opportunities at work, they lose opportunities in relationships, in many aspects of life, because they must carry this child while the man gets off scot-free? I don't think that that is a good argument for a number of reasons, and I do want to address some of the ways that the church can be a part of making that not happen. But allow me to simply say, That yes, there are legitimate women's rights issues at play here. But there is overwhelming justice issues for the innocent human person that is being murdered. Greg Kukul said this. He said, if the unborn is not a human person, no justification for abortion is necessary. However, if the unborn is a human person, no justification for abortion is adequate. By the way, str.org. Go there and they will help you answer many questions relating Christianity to the culture around you, including the one about abortion. So, Another thing that pro-abortionists accuse Christians of is they say pro-lifers are always turning to the religious argument for their position. Actually, I haven't made a religious, a religious argument at all so far. We are perfectly happy to argue the scientific evidence because it is all universally on the side of life. However, Aside from providing you some talking points and giving you a website that you can go to to get more details about, what I want to address from God's Word today, from the Word of God so that we do have some understanding of our religious duties, is the response that Christians must take when addressing questions concerning the sanctity of human life. For example, abortion. For example, valid LGBTQ concerns that we need to address. For example, racism in our culture. All of these are questions that Christians are morally obliged to address. And frankly, you don't need to agree with everything someone says in order to stand up with them against injustice. Man, I don't even agree with everything I say. But primarily, the rest of what I'm going to say in this sermon is I want to speak to Christians who are either unsure of their responsibility to uphold the sanctity of life for all human persons or who wish to be equipped with reasons and applications so that they can do it better. But I also want to speak to Christians who consider themselves pro-choice but not pro abortion. And in order to do so, I'm going to turn to Genesis 1 and 2. And from Scripture, I want to develop a sound understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God. 
Not so you can think better of someone else. And certainly not so you can think better of yourself. I want you to understand what the Bible means that human persons are created in the image of God so that you will have some very specific areas of application that you can go through this week. I want you to understand this so that you can go and demonstrate God's love and compassion to the people who are within arm's reach of you. And so that you can represent Him to those who would otherwise never have seen His hands and feet in healing the deep wounds that are universal in this sin-sick world. And for that reason, we turn to Genesis chapter 1. Moses writes for us, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. As we come to this passage in Genesis 1, and we'll get to 2 in a second, we need to pay attention, first of all, to how it is that Moses describes God. What is it that God, quote-unquote, looks like So that we can then understand how it is that we are like him, created in his image. And what we find are four characteristics about God emphasized in Genesis 1 and 2. The first and most obvious one is that he is a creator. We find also that he is in community in himself. And then we find that he is the Lord of creation. He wears the crown. And fourth, he is the one who has choice. And what we see also in Genesis 1 and 2 is that each and one of those four aspects are also true to a lesser degree, but are also true about us. And I want to say that that is what it means for us to be created in God's image. So allow me briefly to unpack this. And the first point that we're going to have is that we should be creating culture. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. My friends, we are created to be creative, to paint, to sculpt, to doodle, to write, to work with our hands and our minds. And we wither as humans when we shrivel into video game machines and become mere consumers of whatever favorite flavor of screen time yours is. You and I are most fully human when we explore and produce rather than hunker down and consume. But how does this relate to Sanctity of Human Life Sunday? We need to reject mediocrity. We need to create culture. Stop simply consuming the culture around you that is centered on death and immorality and violence and consumerism and on baiting 
all the worst in ourselves. Create. Live in the image that God created you to be and celebrate life. In your creation, celebrate life and not death. And you can celebrate diversity that is not married to the concept of pluralism. You can celebrate beauty of God's wonderful human creation without bowing to the altar of, well, everybody's right. How do you do it? Educate yourself. Use your screen time this week to learn about other cultures and gain wisdom from people who are different than you. And then pray for those who remain lost. One of our elders, Rob Grindy, teaches a Sunday school class at the 1030 hour. And every week, he brings out this book, Operation World. And what he does is he learns about one of the 200 or so countries that are in the world. And specifically, some cultural issues about this country and then how he can pray for them. And the Sunday school class does that each week. Uh, I understand there's a Joshua Project online that you can go to. And there are others. Go and educate yourself about them and then pray. Showcase Jesus. Showcase Jesus by using your social media time not simply to consume and repost, but to thoughtfully engage and equip those who are your friends. Spend more than just a minute thinking about how you can improve your posts and use them to show people how beautiful Jesus is instead of just cheering for your favorite political candidate. So create culture and showcase Jesus and then live in community. Back to Genesis. Then God said, let us make God in our image and after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Clearly, once again, we see God is in community. He says, let us make mankind. And we see here that we are made for community. We find this fact as because when we are created in God's image, he immediately says male and female. We were made to be with each other. Red, yellow, black, white, old, young, rich, poor, intelligent people, and people like me. We are community beings, and therefore we need to be for each other, with each other. Learn to live in community when you develop structures that are allergic to racism. Now, I confess, I'm somewhat of a language geek. Racism is the systematic and philosophical decision that someone of a different race or a different color is somehow inferior to yourself or your race. Now, I imagine most people in this room do not suffer from that. However, prejudice remains a significant problem. We allow our emotions to get in the way of our thoughts, and therefore we lump some individual we see at Walmart, not dressed as well as we are, not not as clean as we are. And we make them out to be as less than us. 
You picture them as a thug or a lowlife or whatever derogatory term your daddy taught you to use. Exactly what Jesus is warning us against in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where he says, Do not judge lest ye be judged. Instead of allowing your unexamined prejudices to control your emotions, manifest Jesus. Read posts that encourage you to love rather than designed to stimulate your greed or your bitterness or your political envy. (laughs) You know exactly what I'm talking about. You read those posts and your blood pressure gets up and you're mad, but you kind of like that being mad, don't you? Reject it. Push it away from you. And then when you finally get off your soul cancer device, whether you keep it in your pocket or on your computer screen, when you finally get off of that and you're with a real live flesh and blood person, don't spend all your time talking about that. Spend your time talking about the truth that will set you free. Decide where it is you're going to get your news and how much news, quote-unquote, you're going to allow in your week. Because for many of you, I know, you've told me, that just gets your blood pressure up. And it really isn't anything that's going to help you. So my friends, get more good news than Fox News. Create culture. Live in community and wear a crown. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Oh my goodness. Them's fighting words in this culture. There's a handful of passages in the Bible that the people around us don't want us to read, and that's one of them. It's colonialism. It's patriarchy. It's, it's, it's oppressive. But what in reality is really going on here is absolutely crucial as we understand Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. What we are given here by God through Moses is that we are to look at the world around us as a stewardship. As an understanding that you are responsible for the world functioning well around you insofar as you are able. Now, just a minor example of this. I pick up trash and pull weeds almost everywhere I go. Ask my wife. It drives her nuts. And I do this not simply because it was beat into my brain while I was becoming an Eagle Scout. I do it because I am a Christian. And this world is a part of my stewardship. And wherever I am, that's where I am needing to be one of these stewards. Now, allow me to change the metaphor. You've heard it said that you can't make a horse drink water, but you can feed it salt. You are the salt of the earth. Your job is to be contagious. Your job is to make people thirsty and then give them the water of life. 
and imitate Jesus. Open your eyes to what is going on around you and then seek to make it better. Present God as one who makes whatever environment you are in better. Not just picking up trash or weeds, but in respect and dignity that you give to those who are around you. Make sure that the people you talk to know that they know that you are more interested in the relationship with them than in the argument. People won't love you when you hate. They will love you as you imitate love himself. So create culture, live in community, wear a crown, and promote healthy choice. You knew we were getting here, didn't you? Chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Have you come to understanding yet that with choice, necessarily comes the possibility that the wrong choice will be made. In fact, many I know who are, point, who are pro-life point out the irony that pro-abortionists have claimed the moniker of pro-choice. Because over and over and over again, the death dealers prove that they only want one choice. Death. We wish to enable men and women to have as many healthy choices as possible. And we want the child in the womb to have any choice at all. And this is right, because this is how God created us. This is an aspect of what it means for us to be created in the image of God. Now, i got to say this. If the church has done anything right since 1973, it has been the fact that we are providing for women in crisis pregnancies and we are providing for children who are in those wombs. More than 8,000 crisis pregnancy centers are in the United States today. And contrary to the press we get, Christians are working tirelessly in these efforts. Many of you are sitting in front of me right now. Praise Jesus. Seriously, praise Jesus and celebrate Jesus. And one way you can do this is to go out into the lobby and find one of these bottles. And you can fill, uh, fill it up. They like the paper more than the coin. I was even told one time, it could just be one piece of paper, you know, Find one of these and fill it up. Bring it back next week or in one of the next couple of weeks. And what we'll do with it is we'll give it to our local crisis pregnancy center, CareNet, that is in the um, parking garage area at the mall. And it will help provide for those who are in crisis pregnancy. And if you do, you'll find yourself pulled that much closer to wanting to be a part of the solution, be a part of God's hands and feet. I want to change gears again. I want to answer one more question 
so that you and I can understand a little bit more clearly what the Bible is getting at when it says human persons are made in God's image and created in His likeness. What does the image of God, in fact, mean? Well, there are two words in the Old Testament that give the sense of image or likeness. And certainly these two words are related in meaning, but are slightly different in emphasis. And the difference helps us to understand God's purpose in creating us in His image. And that is we are to present and we are to represent God on earth. Now the more common word found in the Old Testament is translated likeness. And it simply means similarity. It simply means they're like each other. We are to present God. Do you realize there are people who have never opened a Bible? There are people who have never been in a church. There are people that you know that the only ideas they have about God are negative because they are what the culture shows them. You and I are to present God. We are to show people We are to love what God loves and we are to hate what God hates because otherwise they would never know. But the other word and the word that we most commonly think of is image. It occurs less frequently than likeness, but it means representation, like legal representation, like someone going and doing something as if they're you because you've asked them to do it. And here we say that we are to represent God. In other words... God has specific interests. He has specific things that he wants to get done. Like defending widows and orphans. Or, in our language, women who are in crisis pregnancies and their children. We are to be representatives of Christ We are the ones who are to do His work. We are those who are to embody His value for life. All life. Red, yellow, black, white, rich, poor, entombed, or almost entombed, tatted, inked, straight, gay, transgendered, the pregnant too often, the pregnant too little, the angry, the weepy, the sleepy, the stoned. We are for us to present and to represent God. Allow me to bring this together. In the United States, there are approximately 400,000 children in our foster care system. There are 327 million of us who live in the United States, approximately 25% of which are evangelicals. That means about 81 million. You do the math there, and what you have is if only one out of every 204 evangelicals adopted a child from the foster care system, the foster care problem would be done. I have a question. How many people in this room have adopted? How many in this room are a part of our foster care system at some level, helping to take care of them, helping to advocate for them, helping to do something for our foster care problem that we have. More of. Listen, this is not about guilt. This is not about shaming. 
Listen to me. Adoption is hard. Ask me. I know. But there are approximately 200 in this 9 o'clock service. And how many of you just raised your hands? We're doing it, people. We are doing it. We are a part of God's hands and feet. And we are making a difference. God is moving. Praise Jesus. But the task is not done. The day is not over. Keep moving forward. Present God. Enable others to see Him in you. Show those near you God. All they see around them in the media is mockery, a lie. Allow them to see an imperfect but very real likeness of God Himself. Represent God. Be His hands and feet and enable people near you to see what He values, what He loves, and stand up for what He is for. Love your LGBTQ neighbors, those who are within arm's distance of you, and show them that there is much more than just judgment. You must love the individual and simply refuse to talk about politics if necessary, especially if politics is central in your thinking. Let them know that you love. Seek to understand those who are near you who are of other cultures and races and colors. Let them see that there is so much more to you than some pasty, skinned, weak, hippie Jesus in your heart. Love those who are near you who cannot see hope for the child in their womb and make sure that you care about the woman who is suffering. Understand her situation and do what you can to help her through it. In that vein, come back tonight, please. We'll be meeting in the other building and Christina Sultan will be here and she will encourage you. She will give you stories that will give you hope and she will encourage you to press on and take the next step. And I hope there's some of you who are sitting here thinking, well, I can't adopt. I really can't be a part of the foster care system, but I can take these very specific steps to fight injustice where I'm at. Pray. Ask Jesus to open up some of those doors for you and then have courage to step through them. Present and represent the great God who loves you and those around you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a hard subject. And as we prayed this morning, there will come a day when there will be no more abortion, there will be no more miscarriage. Until that day, Lord, we ask that you would make us your hands and your feet so that those who are around us, those who are within arm's length of us, will see you. Very imperfect reflection of you, but a real one nonetheless. And enable us to bring glory to you and joy to our hearts and growth to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.